Okay, we are live and I'm absolutely delighted to be here today. It's our first ever Talent Way show. Um, so I'm a little bit nervous, but I know that we're going to be in good hands um, uh, across the, the, the audience and the live links that we're going with as well. Um, and just a quick introduction before I uh, hand over and uh, introduce you to my wonderful, wonderful guest. We're actually on a bit of a mission, and our mission is to really find out whether or not there is something called talent waste. It actually does exist. We want to find this out through research, through stats, and our brilliant guests each week on the Talent Show, uh, Talent Waste Show podcast and videocast. We're going to be finding out and deep in, uh, delving deep into insights, uh, people's experiences, and understanding whether or not. There is a global pandemic at the moment, but actually, is it just COVID-19 or is there a pandemic around talent waste? And I'm absolutely delighted uh, today to introduce you to somebody actually that I've had the pleasure of working with over the past three years and very, very happy to have got you, Rachel, on our very first show. Welcome to the fantastic Rachel Barr, who is the Director of Talent Acquisition for Semioto Mitsuru Banking Corporation or SMBC. Um, Rachel has had an illustrious career in talent acquisition spanning almost 20 years uh, and worked for global firms such as Credit Suisse, ANZ, Barclays, and of course, the wonderful TPI cap. Um, Rachel, welcome to the Talent Show, uh, Talent Way Show podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I know. How good is this? It's absolutely fantastic to, uh, to to see you today. Now, what I want to do each week, what we're going to be doing, Rachel, is uh, talking mm -hmm. to industry leading professionals just like yourself around your experiences, around different um, uh, cultures that you faced, um, you know, different experiences around that talent acquisition piece. And you know, for, for those of you who haven't met you before, just tell mm -hmm. us who you are, what you do and a little bit of background about the wonderful Rachel Barr. Thank you. Very kind. Fred. Um, I'm not feeling the pressure whatsoever. So, hello everyone. Um, it's fantastic to be here and to be invited. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I think Lee's just done a really good job of introducing me, but as he quite rightly said, I've been working in this space for nearly 20 years. can't quite believe it's been that long. Um, incredibly fortunate, actually, in my career to have started it here in London. Um, but I've spent uh, a good number of years overseas. So I've always worked in financial services. I've worked for some large, what we call bulge bracket investment banks, um, but I've also had the opportunity to work for some smaller, perhaps more nimble financial services firms. Worked here yeah. in the UK and across Europe, um, but I've spent a huge amount of time in Singapore, in Hong Kong, in Australia. I have led and managed teams in places as far afield as Tokyo, Jakarta, uh, places um, across Thailand, Malaysia, all sorts. In Jakarta, for example, what was that like? You know, a lot, a lot of people will maybe go to Jakarta, you know, from a from a holiday perspective or, or even backpacking for, for, for many people back in the day. But to be there in business in, in, the, in the world of financial services, what was that like? Um, it was interesting. It, it was challenging. I think that the, the one takeaway I'd have from the many number of years that I spent working overseas is that it's it, it, it's an incredible period of growth for, for an individual. Um, but I think that from a talent acquisition perspective, it creates a whole different world of opportunity, but also thoughts and solutions. Um, because I think the one thing that you have to understand is that how you do something 
and how you run a function over here in London, for example, is completely different to what we, you would do in that part of the world. And that actually there is difference in different countries. And sometimes that comes down to fundamentals such as local country jurisdictions and having to understand those when you run through a recruitment process. But most importantly, it comes down to the maturity of the country that you're hiring in. Um, when we talk about some of the solutions and the incredible innovations that we're seeing happening right now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same across the globe. So, as sure, an sure. yeah. So, as an individual, you have to you have to be incredibly open. You have to be incredibly flexible. You have to get really comfortable with adaptability, um, mm. and you have to have an incredible um, uh, way of being able to communicate, and not necessarily through the spoken word. Um, there are all sorts of different ways that uh, I think you probably get challenged when you work in, in areas like that. Um, but most of all, it was fun and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself, but I learned a lot about different cultures as well. Amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, it's just it's just a huge array of different experiences, like you're saying. You mentioned there about adaptability, and I think that probably everybody who's watching this right now or listening back on, on, onto this in podcast format will probably be able to identify with, with having to adapt in the year that we've just been through, the last 12 months that we've just been through with obviously yeah. the global pandemic being COVID. How do you feel that you, in, in, in terms of your, your business and your role, has actually adapted to the current environment that we, we find ourselves in? And, and off the back of that, what specific challenges are there, Rachel, that, that, that we're facing now as a, as a consequence? I think that the first thing I would say that, it, of course, it's been an incredibly challenging year. But I think that what this year has really shown us, both in the industry that we work in, um, and I mean the talent acquisition community, yeah. as yeah. well as the multiple industries that are probably being represented um, by the people attending today, is that I don't think we have ever had quite a period of time where people have come together as a community, where it's almost become obsolete who you work for or what industry you work in. It has been about a group of talented individuals coming together and going, we've just had how we do things pretty much thrown up in the air and it's landed back in a, in a completely different way. So, so what are we going to do about this? Because if we talk about the fundamentals of talent uh, of the you know the art of attracting them um we've all been used to doing it face to face um we you know there've been multiple conversations over the years we're already seeing it with i think the breadth of tech platforms that we have i'm not talking about your you know, you know the, the basics of we have an applicant tracking system which yeah. is great for yeah. a number of reasons you know there are lots of other parts of the process that are coming into play the platforms that underpin it but fundamentally it's always been about brilliant talented people that sit across the top of it and say these are my tools for success and this is how i go out um, and engage with these people and so it's been interesting for us um, and it's been interesting to have to have candidates adapt and if you think about the demographic of people that we talk to it's really easy to quickly say well for example if i'm running an early careers program they'll be fine they've grown up with technology yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's not necessarily the case, although they've obviously got some advantages. But then I think about some of the senior hiring that has continued to go on through this pandemic. You are suddenly introducing a whole new world. And then also from a candidate perspective, even though I think we've been able to adapt and now take what has been, you know, face to face um, parts of the process and create them virtually online. Um, it's still really challenging if you're a candidate. 
Yeah. I'll try and let you go. No, no, no. Sorry, I was going to say, no, it's fascinating, but I was going to say, actually, you know, you, you've actually been onboarded, essentially, as a senior hire during mm -hmm. this, this process. So not only have you seen it from a talent acquisition director perspective, you've also seen it from, if I may, a candidate's perspective. So, you know, that, that's quite that's quite a different way of, of onboarding now. Like you say, we're finding that a lot of organisations that we're talking to and a lot of, uh, you know, senior professionals that we're talking to are having to adapt to this kind of forum, the forum that we're currently in right now. Um, what's your experiences of that? I think they're probably not too dissimilar to um, anyone else that has been hired during this, this period of time. Um, it's, I think it'll be fascinating when we come out of it to see some of the case studies. Um, uh, and I certainly, for one, will, will want to um, read them. Uh, but I think, and I know from what I've heard from a number of people in financial services, but outside of financial services, is that actually organisations have really stepped up to the plate. They have been fantastic in really taking what is required if we think about you know framework and governance and all those operational pieces that you have to have in play to get someone over the line that that's worked but i think again where we're challenged with this is if you're a candidate joining an organization where where is your sense of community and how do you get it because you are not there in the office you can't feel or touch anything so, you know, you and I are having a conversation uh, and I think everyone, regardless of whether they've been joining an organisation or not, has had to adapt their way of working, even yeah. down to how you have a meeting, how that agenda is set up and how you have to flex working with other people now that we're doing it via a, a world of technology. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that I've heard really great things, you know, across the globe, actually, about how we've all been able to step up and flex and change what we do in order to keep on hiring but that actually for the candidates that are coming in i think that what will naturally happen is that at a point where we start to go back to uh, spending time in the office and again it's not going to look the way that it did beforehand but there's almost now a second phase to an onboarding of a candidate we've had our virtual one but what does yeah. that look like when you get back into the office because my sense is that probably we're going to feel like new people on day one again when we get back to the office and I think organisations are really having a lot of good dialogue around we're aware that this is coming and actually what we're we going to do about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Again, I hear the similar similar sorts of things. The onboarding, uh, we, we um, at Phoenix 51 actually onboarded uh, five new people recently, all of which I've never met face to face. You know, they all work for the business and I've never met them, you know, in yeah. person. So I do think that you're right. When, when when the office space, if you like, comes back, we will start utilizing, um, you know, that, that kind of human contact. But actually, the way that we've started to adapt as, as employers and, and, and organizations around the world is that we need to start accepting the fact that people now have to be able to communicate in this way, in this forum, whether you know it's via video technology, whether or not it's via Teams, whether or not it's via Zoom, Phoenix 51, for example, you know, whatever technology you've got out there, like you said before, is about bolting that into our current recruitment process or our, yeah. our employee training management process. And that onboarding aspect is is vital. I wanted to ask you actually, Rachel, your experience mm. of retaining or retention of talent. Um, you know, we're on a mission, as I said at the beginning of the show, to find out whether or not there's, there, there is a problem with talent waste. Are you wasting talent because people come into an organization and then we repeat that same hiring process again and again and again, because we're replacing people that basically we want to keep, but we can't for whatever reason. What's your experiences around that in terms of that repetitive 
um, recruitment and, and actually retaining people year one, year two, etc. I think I think it's a great question to ask, um, and I think if you ask any talent acquisition leader or certainly anyone that works in this space, it's there at the front and center of of what we do and how we do it. Um, I think though that what I've seen, and I'm always happy to be challenged on this, but I think that what I've started seeing um, more recently is a shift, and it's it, it, people are starting to talk about total talent solutions. Yeah. So when you talk about talent acquisition, so that is the art of attracting candidates to come and have a conversation with your organization. What organizations are now doing is going, that's not enough. What we must be doing is talking about how do we hire them and then what do we do with them when they join us? And, I, and, so, I, yeah, and so I think what I'm finding now is that talent acquisition is literally sitting hand in hand with talent management. And into that piece is the, and I think there is a fundamental shift in this, is how do you performance manage people? I don't mean, how do you manage them out of a business? How do you manage them when they come into your organization? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. It's almost like how do you get the best out of people and how do you how do you fundamentally track their their their, uh, their performance or their skills gaps or understand, you know, these are the key areas of, of this individual for this particular job role we've hired them in but do we know now are we starting are you starting to see a shift in in organizations saying like how do we now develop these individuals we've we've spent a load of time and effort and resource on getting the right person now we want to keep them so 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 actually is there a fundamental shift in that kind of learning development pathway and understanding where their skills yeah. gaps are and understanding how we can manage them because you know national office uh, um, office of national statistics for example would say in in the financial services year one retention is as hot is is um uh, uh, as high as 35 percent of 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 uh, um, people joining in that in that first year will leave I mean, I think that's that's a high stat, isn't it, um, Rachel? Do, do you think that that kind of coincides with some of the experiences that you've had around 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 the world? I think that I think the financial services specifically probably had some challenges that didn't sit there before. I mean, I you know I, I've had skin in this game for for quite a while, and if I think about how financial services was when I started to how it is now, it's very different. If you're a candidate thinking about that next opportunity there is a reality here which is that their landscape looks different they have more choice and people started talking about and i'll use one example people started talking about fintech three years ago they weren't too sure about it so you're not too sure so you just kind of let it go there and bubble away but then you start to see it grow and if you you know uh, and if you're if you're someone who's savvy you're going to start seeing the types of roles they're hiring for it would always be an indicator of where that organization is in its growth what is important to them so the second that you see fintech companies wanting to hire chief people officers you know that they're taking their hiring seriously and that they're taking the life cycle of an employee seriously so i think we've got that um perhaps not as sexy as it used to be you've got you know these massive tech giants but then you've also got a demographic of candidates who are saying i want something more i want something different which you're not offering me so at a point where you are having those conversations with a candidate you've got to you know you've got to realize that it's not just about the money anymore it's, it's about the whole package 
But to go back to your point about when you have people in the business and how that is managed, what that learning and development suite looks like for them, it has to be different. But I think that we're more demanding as individuals. So it's not enough to have an end of year to sit down with your boss now where they get out, you know, their little assessment sheet and score you. We, we want it in real time, don't we? Um, and I think, you know, one, uh, and I think we all hear it. Well, we're all super, super busy. But if you're in a manager role, it takes nothing to spend a minute after a meeting to shout out to one of your team members about something they did really well, or how that presentation went. Um, and so I think that it really is um, mixing a lot of different ways of managing people instead of just having what is quite a traditional yearly conversation. Because I think the risk that you run then is that you have a conversation with that person and they haven't had any constructive feedback from you in a year. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, and it's incredibly demoralizing. So I think there is seismic shifts and we need to, you know, and I know organizations are doing it, but it looks and feels very different, you know, and in terms of how we do um, training and helping people with tools right now, I mean, you used to have to sign up for it and wait and go to a, you know, a rather official training series. I think if COVID has shown us anything, half an hour little power pockets of you know virtual training sessions in your lunch hour that's what people want bite size where i can fit it into my day i feel connected mm -hmm. with my organization i believe in them and they quite clearly believe and invest in me i completely agree and again you know some, some of the research and knowledge the clients that we work with as well we're seeing the same things you know that that shift in understanding people coming through into organizations now mm. money money is important to, to, to most individuals and most people but but actually i think that you know that is almost a byproduct now of of that knowledge and that, that understanding that learning people want to learn the new generations uh, coming through uh, for, like you mentioned early careers um earlier in uh, in the show Again, early careers, they want knowledge, they want to suck it up, they want to learn, they want to become experts in. And, and actually, if they do all of them things, the money or the, the, the rewards, if you like, that will come from salary and bonus and whatever it might be, will, will follow. So it almost becomes secondary, but they can only learn, they can only develop if there is a pathway um, for them, for a pathway for Rachel, a pathway for Lee, a pathway for employee one, two, three, four, five. And you're, you're absolutely right, you know doing a yearly appraisal, which basically is a tick box exercise that gets stuck in the drawer somewhere or, 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 or you know, scanned in or uploaded onto, onto your HR system is, is, is completely dated. And it needs to be fundamentally ongoing all of the time to understand these are the skills gaps. This is where I need to improve working alongside the organization or your employer to make sure that you're, you're being developed. And actually going back to the stat around 34% of people will leave in the first year that will start yep. to reduce. So, so we are fundamentally talking here about reducing talent waste and actually making sure that the, the quality and the, and the resource that we've put into our recruitment process and our onboarding process doesn't get wasted four, five, six, nine months down the line because people are saying, hang on, I want to go somewhere else because th the grass looks greener. Is, 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 that what you're, is that what you're thinking as well, Rachel? Yeah, and I think, and if I go back to, to what you were just asking, when we talked about, when we talked about talent waste, I mean, let's not get away from it. We're recruiters at the end of the day. We work in organisations where cost per hire will come up in multiple conversations. It's really <laughs> term, what, what is cost per hire? And dependent on how successful that hire is, dependent on the quality of it, that depends on whether or not you think you got your money's worth. 
And I think for talent acquisition leaders, it's always one of those really interesting conversations to have because you can really get pulled down into the detail of, I don't want to do that hire via that agency because it's going to cost me that much. You've already missed the point. Yeah. You've already missed the point on the cost per hire because it's so many other things put together. No, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Well, actually, you, you, so you talk nicely, actually, about, um, you know, a, a different segue because you talk uh, clearly there about recruitment. So I want to ask you, um, if I may, mm. you, you hired many, many people uh, around the world, as yeah. we've already discussed. What has been your kind of your best hire? Is there is there one or, you know, a couple that stand out that you think, do you know what, this, this individual was fantastic? And what were the reasons why, Rachel? Okay. I, luckily, I think it would be really remiss for you to ask me that question and for me, obviously, not to use <laughs> one of our many collaborations together. Um, and I think, you know, for people that are listening today, obviously, you said that obviously you and I have worked together. Um, I still, for me, one of my standout moments is when I came back from 10 years in Asia and you were one of the first people I had a conversation with. So, you know, I was in a role and I was taking a look at the organization and what we needed to do. And I think a lot of organizations, you know, were in that place at that point, they certainly are now, which is talking about the future of your organization's talent. So as a TA leader, you know, it's very easy to kind of segregate. So I've got my lateral hiring that I need to do here. I've got temporary hiring that I need to do. I need to hire some grads. And I think that's where our conversation started. And I remember saying to you, that conversation, that's not enough. I want a complete end-to-end commitment from our organization to the future of this organization. And that's not graduates, it's early careers. It was having lots of different um, channels and funnels. And obviously you and I collaborated and created an extraordinary, an extraordinary journey um for the people that are listening we piloted in london and before we knew it we were doing it in new york and we were doing it in singapore and down in sydney and we were able to create global consistency which is a really good thing but uh, to answer your question i think that what we found out from that by taking a chance um my god it was hard to get our internal stakeholders to get on board but it was the blind cv assessment piece so i'll never forget that meeting when we said you're not seeing a cv you're going to turn up to an assessment centre and you're going to know nothing about these people. Trust us. Um, and I don't know what your thoughts are, Lee, but I think that there are a couple of individuals in that first academy that we did, which were absolute standouts. I think from a DNI perspective, from a social mobility perspective, they both said to us afterwards, they would never have had an opportunity to come into a FTSE 250 company and have the opportunity that they were given. Um, and then I guess for me, being on the on the other side, so to speak, it was that ability to see them over the next two to three years build through that development program to become revenue generators in their own right. Um, see one of them that has now actually gone overseas, his career is doing so well. Um, but we gave them an opportunity. And I think that point for me was really about we've got to start getting on our soapbox and we've got to start talking about inclusiveness and we've got to start getting our head around social mobility because we've just demonstrated why it works. So I think that for me would be a highlight. De- definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, a couple of people in uh, putting questions in as well. Uh, the, our very own Matt Price uh, from back in the day commenting Hello. about taking over to New York and all that sort of stuff so uh, I mean it was a wonderful wonderful journey actually just want to pick up on on that point there is that 
no, it's not just about giving people a chance. It's actually giving people a chance to actually have the ability, the, the competencies, the behaviours to actually go and do a role, which which actually from years gone by would have been a you know almost a you know a job for the boys, right? I'm gonna I'm not gonna mince my words. It would have been like, oh yeah, I know that guy and he knows that that girl and whatever, and actually let's come in. And we were challenged with. Um, you know, diversity, we were challenged with opening up, you know, like you say, to, to an early careers program, not just about just getting some, some graduates in, into the business. And that to actually yeah. see their journey, because we understood where their behaviours and competencies were, were, because we were hiring based on behaviours and competencies, not based on who they were or, or on what their piece of paper said or the resume or their CV. Yeah. And of course, because we were onboarding them based on knowledge around their skills gaps and where we could wrap development pathways around them that's why they've succeeded it's not it's not a coincidence surely is it Rachel yeah and I, I think one of the first questions we had um, I can't believe it's five years ago Crazy. but it was that how do you test a person's motivation how do you understand their discipline how do you understand their responsibilities and you know you sit there with a job description and your hiring managers put it all in there well, then we have to go out and assess on it. It's not about what A-levels they got from, you know, what school or what organisation. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. that was, you know, and not just the work that we did, but certainly for me, from about 2016 onwards, if you're, you know, if we're talking about our networks, think tax forums, you know, events that you're going to, it was almost like it changed overnight and people started going blind CV assessments why didn't we think about it before now obviously and the people that are listening to this will know because you have an education piece internally it's great for me to get really passionate about it and to work with people like yourself how do you get your organization to understand well you have to educate them and that can be quite tough sometimes but until you've educated and got that buy-in it's incredibly difficult then to get to get the end of the road to get those results to get those people through the door yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I remember being on the journey with you. It was almost like a, a transformation uh, um, program as well as a talent acquisition yeah. program because it wasn't just about getting the right people. It was about changing mindsets and, and winning hearts and minds in, in something that was different. We, you know, at, at the time, you, you guys wanted to change. You wanted to do something yeah. different. And, and and we supported you doing that that program. Yeah. And, it, and it that's was, it. Yeah. yeah, and that's it. You just said it there. We wanted to change. So when you have an organisation that is open to change, I mean, pretty much the world is your oyster. Um, you know, I'm not saying that it's a you know complete breeze from then on in, but if you have a group of people and an organisation that combined have the same vision, then that's where you start. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now we talked about you know highlight or we talked about the best hires. <laughs> so I've got I've got to go down the flip side of that and say you know out of your illustrious career. Um, spanning over 20 years what would be the not the bad hire but what would be the one that sticks in your mind that got away what one that was was essentially talent waste that you wanted to stay you wanted to stick but you know what they they left because of you know a, a better opportunity or because maybe you know fundamentally we didn't get the the, the onboarding or the recruitment process or the talent management process right is, is anyone sticks to mind that you think man that, that person got away there's probably quite a few to be honest um and i'm sure and i'm sure that everyone's listening um will have lots of lots of examples as well i think probably the one that sticks out for me 
is the first big hire for me. So you know, it, it's quite a while ago now. Um, and obviously we talk about how practices and policies have changed. But I think the reason that it was regretted was because it was a phenomenal talent that came into the organization, left very quickly after. It almost, you know, we talk about talent waste, it had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with the fact that we sat there and went, what a bunch of idiots. Because seemingly the reason to do it was innocuous, but th but this is the thing when you work with people, um, you can't, you know, we're all very, very different. You, you can't control everything or manage it as a recruiter, um, but you certainly, there is plenty within the realm of what you do to ensure that you execute something in the right way to, to kind of mitigate that risk. Yeah. Um, and this one was incredibly simple. We hadn't done the right negotiation um on the package um and i'd add into that I'm not talking about base salary different people are motivated by different things and that's and yeah and you, you have to ask the questions you know it's people at different points in their life um you know i care about my pension more than i did 20 years ago fact um <laughs> but you have to have yeah I feel like <laughs> And so you have to have those conversations and we missed a trick and in um you know in an industry in a market now where candidates really do have the choice miss that trick but push it because you haven't understood the candidate's motivations for needing that role well then guess what three months later they walk in and go but they offered me what i wanted to for sure for sure and again it's it's, it's really interesting again that's why coming back talking to industry experts like yourself about is there a problem with talent waste you know the stats will say that year one retention you know can go all the way up to 45 percent of people leaving in year one it depending on different industries is that fundamentally because us as employers haven't got it right we haven't understood we fundamentally understood what this individual needs or what that individual needs is there a one size fits all you know for me before i get on my soapbox i don't think there is i think it has to be tailored i think it has to be development pathways that are specific to my behaviors my my personality the way i am you know and, and actually we found out by working together on, on the projects that we talked about today that you know people people are different as you've just said everybody is slightly different so a one-size-fits-all onboarding process or, or a process around that doesn't tend to work unless you've got insights or data or an understanding as to these are the key things that we need to be able to do and like you said right at the beginning there's a lot of technology now that is supporting our recruitment processes our onboarding processes um, yeah. and, and also our talent management piece as well to make sure that we're getting making fundamentally better decisions, meaning that we've got better quality in our business, but we've also deploying the resource in the right way. And ultimately for all the CFOs out there, and we're saving money as well, you know, because, you know, ultimately you're losing 34% of people in, in year one, you know, 12,000 pound, 15,000 pound for each hire that you lose. That's 1.6, 1.7, 1.8 million pounds. is just going out, you know, and, and do, we, do we think like that as talent acquisition leaders, Rachel? I said, look, well, I'd like to say that the answer to that is yes. And I think that, you know, it, and it's not just the bottom line, it's the commercial risk. For sure. Um, I, you know, I think we can all come here together and collectively say ca unhappy candidates or candidates that have a bad experience, that they're your worst nightmare, but quite rightly so. And it comes back to the, the point that you do, that you engage with a candidate to the point that they enter your organization 
and how you manage the life cycle of their career within your organization it will come together seamlessly so yes if you get that wrong <laughs> you know you're going to become unstuck at some point but um i think for me even if a candidate is not successful in a hiring process with you my god you want them to come out the back end of that process and say didn't get the job but but what a great experience um and i think you touched on it very quickly then you could probably do i think an entirely <laughs> you could do another separate podcast on it but talking about data and analytics um every leader will know um that underpins everything data tells a story and it gives you informed decisions so if you think that there is a problem in your organization you need to one truly be comfortable with the integrity of your data but actually if you've got it use it use it with the right people right stakeholders you know present it in the right way that's almost a journey in itself sometimes if you're coming so, into <laughs> I think I think there's definitely a follow-up uh, um, uh, meeting of podcast for us to do on that for sure because you know again I know both of us can probably get on a uh, on, on a bit of a soapbox around that side. Now I'm I'm a firm believer in that data shouldn't be the computer says yes and the computer says no. The data should be there to fundamentally mm. help support an idea or a decision that you're making. Um, so therefore, if you've got all the right insights, if, you, if you've got all the right data in front of you, you can still make the decision. If somebody scores, I don't know, 30% of what you what you want in your values, you can still hire them. You know, that's your that's your right, that's your decision, but at least you know where their skills gaps are, where, where, where they need to be improved. And more for you, if you then hire that individual and then don't address the skills gaps, it, all the information's there in front of you. So yeah. it's a bit like, I mean, can you sat nav and then just totally ignoring it and going going rogue, you know, and and, and ultimately you're, yeah. you're getting lost, right? And that's exactly what happens in uh, in, in the talent acquisition process. Yeah. So Rachel, we we've got some uh, fun fundamentally uh, got some fantastic questions coming as well, and I want to get through some of okay. them as well before sure. I let you go um, uh, today. So um, f first question is, how do you think the profile of candidate might change with the change in working? With many companies not likely going back to the office, do you think different mm -hmm. competencies will be sought? Um, I think there's probably a couple. So I think there's probably a couple of answers to that. So I certainly think, and I know that you know some of my peers have as well. I think that what COVID has given us, which is now pretty much a completely different approach to flexible working, it's going to open up geographies to us. Yeah. So if you're an organization which is geographically centric to, you know, a city in the UK, well, you can probably open it up now because candidates will be more willing to travel for only doing it two days a week instead of five. So I definitely think there's something within that. I think you touched on it earlier when we talk, when we talk about competencies. Um, having a conversation on one of these is a completely different way of communication now. It's not so hard when it's just you and I. Um, but if you're presenting to a steerco, for example, um, that's very different to sitting in an office and being able to see the whites of people's eyes. So I definitely think that what we will see inevitably is people re-looking really at how they assess. I know that you know we all have organisations where you know there's your culture and its statement, there are your values underneath it. So I'm pretty sure that most of us will have an interview process, competencies align, aligning to it, but that there's probably a very sensible um, conversation to be had now, which is in the brave new world post-COVID, 
are there other things that we need to be testing? And again, I think that might become quite specific for different areas of your organization. So for Definitely. people who need more you know, tech skills within what they do, uh, you're probably gonna rethink that, um, I think. So if someone was gonna interview me next time, they definitely want to be testing me on my ability to get my laptop working in the morning. Because when you're in the office, you just get IT support to do it. Totally. Excuse me, it's not working. But most of the time, you have to turn it off and turn it on again, right? <laughs> just do the, do, do, the, do, the, do the famous reboot. Um, yeah. I've got a couple of quick fire questions uh, for you. So I want to, we've got loads of questions for you. So I just want to get through a couple of them. And then, yeah. uh, and then we'll do a quick summary as well. So Howard uh, Kazan says... Do you think enough companies calculate the value of talent retention versus understanding their cost to hire? Which, again, I know we touched upon earlier um, in, in, in the show, but it's a fantastic question. Do, do you think that we, do, as talent acquisition leaders, do you think we think like that? Do we think that there's a monetary value or return of investment to when we're hiring these individuals, no matter what role they're doing? I, I look, don't quote me on this because, the, you know, this is going to be pretty, you know, this is going to be a generic um, response. I think that organisations are starting to get better about how much, how much is my talent acquisition costing me? And if I took a look at the bottom line, where am I spending my money? However, I think we're at the beginning of the journey because I think that what we have is I know how much I spent. I could probably tell you how much I spent on my agencies and how much I spent on a tech platform. Uh, it kind of stops there. So mm. I guess, no, no, I don't think we're where we need to be. It's a really good question because we absolutely should. We should. I mean, how powerful would it be to be sitting with senior stakeholders and talking through, you know, hires that were made in a period three years ago and to actually kind of almost document yeah where you were now i think it would absolutely inform decisions i think you'd start to see trends i think the data would tell you a story i think it might make an organization question itself but to be fair i think that's naturally something that the industry as a whole is now starting to think about as you know data um it comes to more of a forefront and more of an underpin of what we do yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And again, that's is. I think we're definitely going to be going on again for 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 another show, uh, Rachel, late, later on over the next couple of weeks or so to, to answer some of them. Fantastic questions. Sorry, I can get through to to all of them. I just want to kind of give a, a bit of a summary, really, and, and sum up by by asking you one last question, if I may, Rachel, sure. which is simply, you are fantastic. You have been Thank absolutely you. today, and and also for for the past few years that I've known you and worked with you. Um, some of the organizations you've worked in are you know, global players in the financial services industry. And as a leader in your field, what is the best piece of advice you could give to other professionals within the talent space? What, what would the kind of one or two bits of advice be, Rachel, that you would leave the audience with today? Um, I think the first piece of advice I would give is be prepared to not be a perfectionist. You are not going to get this stuff right the first time. And I think we've touched on it a couple of times. Um, you've got to be really comfortable with the fact that things change at the last minute. So we've got to adapt. I think if the last year has shown all of us anything, it's that you are going to have to adapt to what happens around you. And sometimes it's out of your control. A lot of the work that I've done, and you know this, Lee, has been sat very much in the transformation space. I don't tend to sit in that BAU piece so much. I go and fix things that are broken or, you know, need to transform because 
organizations in the world is changing so quickly um and so that's probably one of the things for me because i can sometimes get myself down a rabbit hole of i need all of this to be done right now because i said i was going to do it in phase one actually that doesn't matter what matters is that you have that blueprint that white paper that says this is where we're going to get to or we are going to have to flex as we do it so try not to be a perfectionist um and i think the other piece for me um would probably be something along the lines of i think i'd have this conversation with with my younger self which is just simply to say you are enough and believe in yourself and it's okay to not have the answer you're, well, on, a, you're on a journey of growth so just keep on going we're, you know we're always learning well rachel i think that sums up perfectly today you, you are more than enough and you've been absolutely incredible for us today thank you for joining the talent way show and i look forward to if i can bag you again um for, for, the, for a couple of shows uh, in the future for sure uh, thank you ever so much. And, and just, just quickly, before I go, uh, before oh. I let you go, where can people find you? Is you on LinkedIn? You're on the different socials, that sort of stuff? They can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'd certainly say for, that for everyone that attended today's podcast, I'm more than happy if you want to reach out and pick my brains on anything. That's fine. Fantastic stuff. Well, look, look Rachel up on LinkedIn. You can follow me. You can connect with me uh, on the on the click through button as well, LinkedIn as well. Anything you want to you know in terms of follow up, we're, we're there. And uh, look forward to, to the next show. Thank you so much indeed. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And Rachel, thank you again. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, everyone.